in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. So, welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. And delighted, I have friend, colleague, uh, and educator Lee Bryant with me for this one. And uh, Lee is a digital transformation practitioner and also the co-founder of Post Shift. So there will be no surprises for any of you listening that this is going to be about digital leadership and specifically distributed digital leadership. So Lee, firstly, welcome to the Leadership Enigma. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's nice to see you, and I know you are in sunnier climes in Portugal, staying safe, but you're certainly having better weather than we might be having here in London. So I'll just get my jealousy out of the way right, <laughs> at, the start of, right at the start of the episode. So, Lee, give us a little bit of context or overview, just in relation to digital. What does it mean on, on quite, a, I don't, I don't, quite a superficial level initially for people just to understand where we're coming from? Well, I think it's no secret that the biggest driver of organizational transformation and uh, business model change is, you know, digital technology in, yeah. in the widest sense. Um, but I think people often misunderstand that this is about just, you know, customer engagement or it's just about better apps. Um, when really it goes all the way through to the center of the organization and impacts on everything from how we're organized, um, you know, how we uh, sort of uh, run a value chain in a business, how we communicate and collaborate with each other, and fundamentally how we, how we create the, the sort of the connective tissue, the structure of our organizations. All of these things are set to change. And I think that's why, for me, it's really important that everybody has a stake in that conversation and that everybody has a degree of confidence um, talking about digital technology, in, at least in the sense of how it would impact on them and their roles. So Lee, with the work that you've done over many years and you and I have worked together on, on projects, why are people so frightened or why is there a nervousness around digital? It's interesting. I mean, I first started um, using sort of internet technologies um, in various kinds of organizations, governmental, public sector and, and commercial organizations back in the mid 1990s. And then, you know, we really felt this is novel, this is new, not many people know about this, but very soon, you know, everybody will be uh, comfortable with this and will be using that. But that's really not been the case in, in most organizations. And what we found is that the, the sheer inertia that exists within uh, a well-established organization uh, really inhibits change. Um, so unless there's an absolute, you know, sort of in-your-face crisis, um, it's very hard to get people to break out of old habits and start to rethink the way that they're the way that they're working. So um, right. you know, that's a, a real issue, and I think that's compounded by um, a really poor management culture in most established organizations. This sort of, you know, I won't say sort of old boys club, but you know, a sort of a right. network of, of mediocrity, uh, sort of, you know, middle-aged people running around wearing suits, thinking that they can tell everyone else what to do. But actually year by year, 
losing their own knowledge about their business, about their sector and the wider world. So it's, there's no embarrassment in an organization to stand up and say, I know nothing about technology. Yeah. Um, which is absurd. I mean, you know, it's surely the job of a leader or a manager to stay abreast of key developments. And there's no more key development, I think, than the rise of uh, digital tech. So whenever I meet those people or I see people proudly showing their ignorance, um, you know, I feel very sorry for those uh, for those organizations. So so that's why I'm really interested in how we broaden that conversation and involve everybody in the process of sort of digitally um, aligned change. Now, Lee, what has COVID done to the whole digital arena? Because a lot of people have said that we've all become digital or we've all had to embrace digital and what may have taken five years has taken five weeks or five months. So what has the pandemic done to, the, to people's mindset in relation to digital transformation? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously the most uh, visible uh, and sudden change is the overnight shift to remote working as a default. Um, and I think remote working is, right. is, is an unfortunate name, actually. Um, because it's not about you know distance, it's not about being away from people. It's really about online first working. In other words, using your digital workplace tools um, to to do work, communicate work, share work, and coordinate work. And that's something that obviously we've been you know helping organisations um, adapt to and learn how to uh, how to do for many years. Um, and the the worst and brilliant examples of entirely remote first organizations like Automatic, who, you know, who produced the WordPress uh, platform, uh, you know, GitHub, various other companies who were very successful yeah. um, with no offices and, and very little management, but a completely remote uh, working context. And, uh, and then lo and behold, suddenly everybody had to, had to do it. So, um, you know, that, um, no the, the old, well, that's right. The old joke goes, you know, who, who decided on your digital transformation? Was it your CIO, your CXO? No, it was COVID-19. So, so that's, the, that's the big shift. But I think that shift is still not well enough understood. Um, and people need to see this not as homeworking or being forced to be a part, but actually, um, you know, actually seeing the positive in this, which is this is about online first working, which has huge potential uh, to improve um, you know, all aspects of what we do in organizations. So, Lee, that takes me to a, a probably another simplistic question. You have to forgive these as well. Who's digital for? Because you mentioned, uh, you know, is it for the C-suite or is it for certain specialist roles for the C-suite or is it for all or is there a happy medium? I don't know. Who's it for? Well, put it this way, um, you know, when the telephone was introduced onto everyone's desk, uh, you didn't have, you know, sort of 55-year-old uh, managers proudly declaring for 20 years that they are, have no interest in the telephone and don't understand how it works. Um, you know, so I would so like true. to see, <laughs> I would <laughs> like to see a similar uh, process of engagement across the whole organisation. I think fundamentally, you know, um, so I'll answer this question from the from the bottom up. Yeah. But, for the whole of the workforce in any knowledge-based or office-based organization, we need to set the bar a bit higher in terms of the basic level of comfort and skill with digital tools that we expect coming into the organization. So, you know, if you're not comfortable, you know, doing online collaboration, writing online, sharing online and, and networking, then you really shouldn't be in the, in the workforce. Um, you should be, you know, crafting wooden furniture in the Dales or something like that, which is also quite a great thing to do by the way but um so i think we need to set the bar higher at all levels and then i think we need to recognize that even those 
functions which are not directly digital or digitized still have to engage with a, a sort of a work structure and a value chain which is primarily digital so if you're in a factory then you know we've got iot we've got sensors we've got you know machines sharing their operating data if you're in the office we've got sort of online collaboration collaborative writing you know networking and and uh, online communities and so on and if you're at the top of the organization or you're in any kind of leadership or management role you really really need to understand how digital increases your span of control how it gives you the ability to influence beyond your individual functional silo yep. uh, and really how to lead in a network centric um, world and unfortunately you know my experience so far is that uh, relatively few organizations have made that shift at this point what's stopping them then lee if you're still finding that in in the work that you do I, you know, I don't know. Some people would apply a power analysis to management cohorts and say that, you know, essentially in some firms, um, you know, which have been over-financialized and which are led by CFOs, there's almost a conspiracy of inaction at the level of management because they're very well paid. They can uh, optimize the organization for shifts in the share price, which affect their own remuneration but they really don't care about the future. If the organization crumbles three years after they leave, they don't care. Right. So I think there are certain ethical um, issues at play there to a certain extent. You know, there are other cultures like Japanese management culture or even German management culture yes. where people take the responsibility of being a custodian of the organization much more seriously. Um, and there's almost a sort of social opprobrium attached to, you know, failure um or crashing their companies whereas in 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 the uk culture you know you see these sort of blinking cfos who all look almost identical with no particular skills emerge from behind corporate crashes like carillion etc yes you know and then you realize these guys have been paid like millions a year to just run this ineffective uh, system which is destroying people's jobs it's sort of a crazy situation so i think there is a certain sort of you know, reform needed in terms of how we think about management in general. But then more broadly, you know, you've got to look at the pipeline. You've got to look at how we're being educated, how we're doing, uh, you know, business training, how MBAs function and how we create the pipeline of talent, uh, you know, coming into the organization. Because there are digital people in many of these organizations, but they're often two clicks below, um, you know, some generic manager who's nominally their boss. Um, but doesn't understand, you know, what these people do. So I think we need to give more prominence as well um, mm -hmm. to possibly younger and definitely more digitally native, um, you know, emerging leaders. So, I mean, let's pull no punches here. For an organization that is just doesn't get it still, uh, is that essentially, are they on their way out? Is the end in sight for them, but they're just too arrogant to understand or realize? In some cases, yes. I mean, I don't really subscribe to this sort of old dot com, you know, uh, idea of, you know, you must change or you will die, because right. actually there are many organizations that can continue for, for a very, very long time. I mean, to give you one example, um, you know, I've done a fair bit of work, um, you know, some time ago in the legal sector. Uh -huh. uh, the legal sector. The good is, old legal sector. Still yeah. using uh, a, a kind of a feather pen and parchment that's, no, not, but. that's right and, and stamps and so on but um you know it, it's a fascinating sector because the the use case and the potential for technology is so obvious that generation after generation yeah. of sort of legal technologists bang their head against this against this wall but fundamentally if you're paid uh, by the hour uh, you have no interest in efficiency 
Um, you know, and the first time a partner sits you down and explains, we don't want to become quicker or more efficient at what we do because we'll right. get paid less. Then you have a bit of a, an epiphany and you realize that actually they could easily continue another sort of 50 plus years. Yes, the bottom end will get eaten by paralegals and online platforms. Yeah. You know, at the other end, they've got the big four jumping into sort of generic legal matters as well. But there's always going to be a niche uh, where they can do advisory or representational work. Um, so, you know, change is not um, essential, but there are many sectors whose failure to engage with this challenge mm-hmm. um, is likely to kill them. Um, and I think eventually, eventually, you know, yeah. if you look at the automotive sector, you'll see some big casualties in automotive uh, who saw the writing on the wall. They had all the information they needed, but they had, uh, you know, they, they were just too arrogant to understand how quickly this change was going to hit them. And, and it's and it's certainly hitting them now. Okay, so let's move on to uh, how does someone actually bridge the gap then between the, the business and the technology? Because I, I hope there's, there's obviously got to be a high degree of synergy there or overlap. So how do, how do you do that? How do we bridge it? Well, I think, te- you know, technologists, uh, we have to take some of the blame uh, for giving incredibly silly names to all of our tools and technologies. Right. Um, you know, tons of acronyms or naming them after cartoons or sort of Tolkien books or something. Probably made sense um, at the time. Yeah, it doesn't help though. Um, so we we need a common language, and for me, the common language is um, you know business capabilities. Tell so me more. you know, you define your strategy as a business. You say we want to do X, want to do Y, we'll do it in this way. Then you need to translate that into what are the actual abilities, the capabilities, the superpowers that the organization needs in order to be able to fulfill that strategy having defined those target capabilities, we can then apply technology to create them or to develop them or to scale them. And I think that's the coming together that we need to see. We need, you know, business leaders to uh, sort of not just be satisfied with a very vague strategy statement and mission statement, which many organizations have, but actually take it down a level of detail. So we understand what does this demand of the organization and what new powers do we need? So, you know, give you one example, um, you know, an organization who's, uh, you know, who's selling a product combined with some services may want to develop um, a two-sided platform so that they can, you know, embody their own IP in something that scales with the effort of competitors and other third parties in their markets. It's a very common business strategy these days. But to do that, you need certain capabilities around software. You need certain capabilities around ecosystem development around partnering, which actually, you know, you may not have. And so you've already got a target list of actions there by deciding upon that strategic course of action. So then it becomes a question of, okay, well, how can technology help us do this? And that's where we need a conversation around technology, which is more focused on the needs of the organization um, rather than focused on cool features or, you know, uh, sort of hype, et cetera. So, so Lee, are you putting, tech, putting the tech sector to one side yeah. Are you seeing some sectors do this well and really embrace it over other sectors? Firstly, that's the first question I'll ask. Um, yes, in terms of in terms of sectors, um, you know, funnily enough, I think in some cases, sort of industrial uh, and manufacturing organizations are, you know, I, I guess they're sort of forced to engage with a lot of this technology. So they've they've gone quicker than 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 most. Um, I think we're seeing it in, in fintech and, and finance, um, you know, the banks and insurance firms have a yeah, real challenge to reform their own uh, internal systems. 
And, you know, too many of them have this magic box in the corner, which was coded in COBOL, you know, in, in the 1970s. And all they know about it is if you touch it, then the whole company breaks. So please, nobody touch it. So that's a real particular challenge that they face. Um, but, you know, the other field, I think, is, is any sort of very customer centric organizations, um, you know, organizations who need to change at the speed of their customers, they also tend to embrace at least the externally facing um, technologies of customer engagement. And then that sort of creates an imperative to do it internally as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? About uh, is the speed of the internal digital transformation different to the speed of the external digital transformation? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting question. I mean, one of the sort of concepts that we often play with is, is a concept from Stuart Brand uh, about pace layering. The idea that all systems consist of multiple layers that move at different speeds. So if you take a building, yeah. you know, the, 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 the land changes at geological uh, sort of speed. The, 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 the concrete structure of the building will probably last for 100 years. Um, the fit out inside will last for maybe 10 or 20 years you know the furniture for five years and then right. the decorations on the wall for you know six months or, or a year so all of these things are moving at different speeds and what you've got to do is recognize how they mesh together and how they fit together and if you go too far too fast at the front of the organization you know let's say banks and airlines are good examples of this they create the app hey we want to engage you know, we're a fun sort of cool digital organization. And then as soon as you get past that sort of surface layer, they send you to call center hell um, and you're back in the bowels of a 19th century uh, bureaucracy. So they, they've seen right. the problems of going too fast at the front and not quickly enough at the back. And I think the reverse can also be true in some cases as well. Uh, no, I absolutely love that. Because I'm having building work, I'm starting to think about uh, which part is going to last longer than what. Anyway, there you go. And with two teenagers and a dog, let me tell you, the inside doesn't do very well at all. No, no. So let's move on to, to the organizational side of things. And what would be the best advice that you would have really for leaders and organizations because i'm doing a lot of work at the moment with the organizations who are trying to work out how they can be a force for good so how do they operate and serve the communities within which they they live and for many multinationals that that's global so they're looking beyond perhaps their core product or service to see how they can just do good in relation to technology and digital what advice have you got for leaders or organizations in relation to them being able to just do better and do good. I don't know. Maybe that's a, a, a slightly oxymoronic question. I don't know. But any thoughts on that? Well, I think, um, you know, in general, I think the, the big generational challenge or the generational imperative for leaders yep. today is to think like organizational architects, to okay. recognize there are a, a, a real um, sort of, transition between you know from structures that have lasted perfectly well for a, you know one to two hundred years mm -hmm. but absolutely are not fit for the next 100 years so it really is the current generation's job um, to do a reform of those uh, structures and what they need to do in my mind is to think about their organizational operating system okay so what is what is the hardware and the software that really runs your company and if it is a system of, you know, people in suits telling you off in meeting rooms with no windows, 
well, okay, great, but that's not going to get you very far. So maybe think about, you know, your own internal software, your own internal yeah. sort of fabric and how that should be created. And when you start to think like that, you move towards the idea of, you know, business as a platform or organizations as a platform uh, where you actually have technology platforms that embody your IP, embody your, your sort of ways of working, your, your rules of the road, your guidelines and so on. And when you have a platform, actually it then becomes possible to think about how you open up aspects of that platform for others to use. So it could be your data exhaust, you know, it could be sort of anonymized data that's a byproduct of your business that other companies or civil society organizations or local government could could use in order to improve uh, their own work. Now, Lee, when you, be, when you, yep, forgive me, French, when you say data exhaust, just so just for clarification, what are you referring to when you say that? Well, I, uh, I mean, sort of data which is produced by the work that you do. So give me, give, let me give you an example. Yeah, um, you know, famous sort of in, infographic that is often shown is uh, one relating to the, the 411 uh, telephone service in New York. So it's a non-emergency helpline. People yeah. phone it. They ask questions about how do I, you know, what day is my rubbish collected, this sort of thing. And uh, they realized that they were answering these phone calls, answering these queries, but actually the nature of the queries and the answers was a data set that had a lot of value for, uh, for the city. So what they would do is they would just start capturing all that data. And what they found was a, a, a brilliant sort of diagram about how service needs change through hours of the day and days of the week. So they were able to start to optimize their public services in order to meet what they knew of the need and the demand. Um, right. which was a byproduct, a data byproduct, the data exhaust. It was never the, the intention. Never it was the never original. the intention, right. no, but it, it actually produced uh, value in its own right. So, gotcha. you know, there's plenty, plenty of these examples. And I think also, um, you know, you might invite, uh, you know, a typical ecosystem play is that companies with a platform might invite a bunch of startups in to play with some of the data that they generate or to yeah. play with some of the services and systems that they use and see, you know, see what value they can create. And, you know, then you either help the startups, which is great. You hire some talent, which is even better, or maybe you acquire or absorb the startups, um, you know, if they can add value to your business. So I think when you start to orchestrate the services of your organization using technology, those services then become more scalable. And that's a way that you can create interfaces with the wider community, with local government, with the city, you know, with schools, with all kinds of other um, players so that you can have a positive, uh, you know, relationship with them. One of the examples I always like to go back to is, um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of German industry. Right. Because there are so many cities in Germany which are sort of dominated by one or two employers. You know, so sort of in, in Stuttgart, you've got Daimler, you've got Bosch, you've got Porsche, mm -hmm. you've got sort of, uh, you know, Volkswagen in Wolfsburg, you've got, you know, BMW in, in, in Munich. And, um, and what's interesting to me is that you'll find so much uh, community engagement and community involvement by those companies. You know, Bosch runs hospitals in, in, in Stuttgart. They do stuff in schools. They know that they depend on the community for educated workers mm. and for a supportive environment. So they actually do give a lot back and they have a very symbiotic relationship. Whereas if you look at the example of, um, you know, the opposite of that would be, sort of non-geographically located finance organizations. You know, they don't exist within a community. They're just a bunch of, uh, you know, rich dudes going to an office and then going to ski or, or going out on the yachts or whatever. 
they're so not connected the, in any way they're not connected and actually i think there's a lot of value in in being connected um you know there's a story i, I don't know if i can remember remember it correctly but remember the zeppelin you know the airship um and how that sort Before of my timely just want to say <laughs> Really, because I thought you were on the pa passenger manifest. Yeah, but anyway, the... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they, the company that produced that obviously had a big failure on their hands. And um, what they found was that they couldn't really continue. Um, but the, the local community in the, in the south of Germany said, no, no, we really want you to continue. And so they helped them, they funded them. And as a result, they were able to continue. And um, I think it's ZF, the foundation, mm -hmm. you know, now really builds on that story and has a very, very uh, deep involvement with local communities. So, you know, you can have a very symbiotic relationship, I think, between businesses and community. It doesn't have to be this surface level, you know, let's go and paint a nursery or, you know, let's do something with our branding all over it. You know, you can actually genuinely be part of the community yeah. and, it can, and it can serve you as well. It's important, isn't it? I think, well, you know, one of my, one of my tech clients, you know, has the phrase doing well by doing good. And, and it's, and it's not just an aspiration. It is very much part of their DNA and their culture and their desire from, from the top down to support and contribute to the communities within which they operate. So I think that's great. Um, now we could talk for ages about this and it's an area that I'm fascinated about because I feel that my knowledge is nowhere at the level that it should be. Uh, and so how can people connect with you or contact you? Because I think people may want to know more. Our website is postshift.com. So um, postshift, all one word, dot com? Yeah, dot com. Gotcha. Um, and on Twitter, we are at postshift, and I am at Lee Bryant, just my name, mm -hmm. uh, written out in letters. So those are probably the best, um, the best ways, but also we're part of various, you know, sort of communities in our, in our field. And so we're around uh, events if we ever do those things again, um, and sort of online, <laughs> online webinars and all, all the rest of it. So, you know, we do try and, um, sort of share our experience and our insights and stuff, um, you know, with, uh, with, uh, with the field. So we're always happy to talk to people and we're always happy to learn from others because, What's good about our field is that um, although we've been doing it for a long time, uh, no one's an expert really because we're all on a journey and we're all we're learning. learning. So, you know, you can learn from some of the most inexperienced young people as well as you can learn from some very old and experienced wise heads as well. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, fun, it's a fun journey to be on. And so I would definitely be open to people connecting and, and sharing Brilliant. ideas or questions about how we do that. And the time, I'm just going to go backwards. Um, the title of this episode is Distributed digital leadership just kind of maybe i should have asked this at the start as opposed to the end but why that title what does that title mean to you what it means to me is that digital is everybody's job yeah and it is the role of leaders to involve everybody in that process of understanding and development and change so for example you know many less digital organizations will hire a single all-powerful you know, C-suite role, yep. chief digital officer, CIO, whatever it might be. And maybe that person is such a world-beating genius that they can do everything on their own with no help. Or maybe they just soak up a big fat budget, spend it all on software and suppliers and sort of sit there like everyone else before them has done. But what we like to see and what we advocate for actually 
is a shared digital leadership group in companies okay. that involves all major stakeholders who might be working in digital or spending money on digital. So, you know, marketing, HR, the CIO or IT function, uh, you know, customer engagement uh, functions as well. And we like to see them all work together um, to have a sort of distributed and shared leadership over all digital activities in the organization and then broaden that out using uh, digital workplace technologies so that you can have you know whole communities of digital guides digital change agents people who are out there sort of locally helping their colleagues uh, transition helping their colleagues learn yep. and, and develop the skills that they need so that's the sort of distributed um, model that we like to we like to work with and Lee, I should have asked that question right at the start. You see, I'm learning as I go. Episode <laughs> 22, and, and, I'm, and I'm trying to get better. I really am. It, Lee, it's, it's, like Orson, it's like Orson Welles' career. You're living your life backwards. It's absolutely <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm doing many things backwards, it appears. But there we go. Lee, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the Leadership Enigma. And I hope we can come back to you and get you to do another episode uh, in the not-too-distant future because... This subject is important to so many people, so many organizations, and I know that we've only just scratched the surface, so I'm grateful to you. Thank you. All right, speak to you soon. Thanks, Lee. Take care. Bye-bye. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.